0: This program is brought to you by Chef's Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: I will love you in sickness and in health. That's a pretty big promise. Today, we speak with some women who share their stories of being broken up with because of the chronic illnesses that they wish they didn't have either. It's Monday, March 20th. We're week four into our series on endings, and this is Love Bites Radio. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you from Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Jacqueline Raposo. I am 35 and single. Ben is not with me today because I have a special episode for you as we are on episode four of our series on endings. If you were with us last week, we had Sari Kamen on the show walking us through a particularly hard breakup that she experienced five years ago. And the three of us talked through the crap of endings in general when you don't want them to happen. Today, I want to discuss a very particular kind of breakup. For those of you new to the show, I have a chronic illness stemming from childhood Lyme disease, and that plays into pretty much every romantic relationship I've ever had in one way or another. And back in 2016, I penned an essay for Cosmopolitan called How I Learned to Date with a Chronic Illness. And people still find me through that essay. I still get emails and social media messages from men and women figuring out how they are going to go through the hard enough part of dating in the beginning and getting to know somebody when they have an illness to contend with and how you talk about it and when you talk about it and how you interact with another person who might not have the physical limitations that you do. And it can be really daunting. And so people usually find me at the end. They usually Google how to do this when things are not going well or have ended and they are upset about it. So today that's what we're going to talk about. The two women we're going to hear from today are newer in their Illnesses and in their experiences than I have been. And I think they have very unique perspectives to share with us. They hope that their stories will maybe connect with others out there who are similarly frustrated and a little down, but also hopeful for the future and wanting some power and control over their situations. So, for the first half of the show, we're going to hear from Jessica. Jessica has POTS. That's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. She first reached out to me back in December after reading that essay and another one that I wrote for Cosmopolitan, and she said, "'Your article really resonated with me. I also live in New York City, and dating is hard enough as it is. I'm 38 and have been single a while. I met a great guy last night for the first time in years, and he wants kids.' Like you mentioned in another article, having kids wasn't something I necessarily wanted in the first place, but after getting POTS, it seemed completely illogical to even entertain the idea. So we're going to hear about that guy that she started dating in December, because as I got to get to know Jessica, first over email and then in real life, which is the great thing about the internet, it connects those of us who otherwise would be sick and alone in our bedrooms... I sort of saw this relationship play out. And so I asked her for some time on the phone to spell out for me what led to its demise. So let's hear from Jessica. Here she is. So what I have is called POTS, postural orthostatic Tachycardia
3: Syndrome. My worst symptoms are nausea and fatigue, dizziness, and just feeling downright crappy. I guess the nausea affects dating because if I feel nervous to go meet somebody and I'm already nauseous and then you add like the natural butterflies of when you first start to meet someone new and then it makes it hard to go out to eat. I can only drink one drink before I feel ill. Some people with this can't have any alcohol, but if I try to push it and have two because I feel like maybe the date's going well, I definitely regret it. Um, And then if the date's going well, sometimes people say, you want to go out to eat? Like, let's grab something to eat. And it's really hard because I can't eat 90% of things at restaurants. So it's kind of stressful. Do you explain at that point, I can't do this because I have an illness? Or do you sort of patch it up with something else in the beginning? How much do you tell about Mm -hmm. your illness in those early stages? In my head, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tell them right away. I'm going to see if they like me or I like them and then see what happens. But if it comes up like they want to get another drink or they want to go somewhere to eat, I end up just like saying, oh, like, I have a restricted diet and it's kind of hard for me and then you'd think that would be enough but then a lot of people I guess they're trying to make conversations to so like, oh like what? And I'm like, oh I, I eat gluten free. Oh that's okay. We can go somewhere that has a salad. Oh I can't eat a salad either because I can't digest vegetables. Oh that's weird. Why I can't you digest vegetables? And then it's just like, it goes from there. It's like at that point I'm not good at just evading the whole question and, and then I just go, oh it's actually like larger issue and I can't really just spontaneously go out to eat and then they want to know more and then I end up just saying well it's because I have this condition called POTS and then yeah then I never know like should I have just not said anything and should I have been vague because that's what I intend to do but that's never what happens but the last guy that I dated I ended up telling him because like we went to go get something to eat And he was really cool and nice, and he didn't even flinch. He seemed to be, like, respectful, and he didn't really want to, like, ask me more unless I looked like I wanted to open up more. So I kind of kept it, like, a little lighthearted as much as I could because it's not really, like, a fun conversation. What else did you like about him? Well, he was cute. He had a really nice smile, and he just seemed really easygoing and nice, and he was polite. He just had like a nice vibe with him, really opening. I can just chill. And how did your illness affect the course of your relationship? It's funny. Like I don't feel good a lot, so I tend to like honor my body and rest when I need to. But with him, I guess, because I hadn't met anybody in a long time that I liked and saw potential with, I pushed myself to hang out later than I would normally. We hung out for like 20 hours straight at one point And like I didn't get any sleep, but I still managed to function. So I think I was on like an adrenaline high. So it was like I wasn't letting my illness get in the way of it. I didn't really feel like it was becoming an issue. Was your breakup not about your illness? Was it completely separate? No, I'm sure it was connected. So he had mentioned that he wanted kids, and I was always kind of on the fence about kids even before I got sick. So when he mentioned on our first date about, like, loving kids and wanting kids, I was like, oh, okay. And then we ended up talking about it. I thought we were on the same page, which was that I said that I don't see myself biologically having children because my doctors told me that it could potentially make me bedridden again. And, like, I'm just not willing to take that risk. So I mentioned to him that I would be open adoption or Or if there was like a surrogate, we had a nanny because I'm so tired, like I need a lot of sleep. I was trying to be open-minded because I liked him and I thought, okay, well, if he were open to these things. So on our second date, he seemed like he was open to the idea because after I talked about this, he kissed me for the first time. So I was like, oh, everything is going well in my head. And then he went away for a little bit on a trip family and then when he came back he was like I really want two kids and I know that like you don't have the energy and it's just that I realized that why would we start with a negative and then that really burned because he had painted a picture of what it would be like in his head and he hadn't even seen anything bad yet and I said so you don't want to have kids with someone who's not healthy and he said I guess that hurt He has to do what's right for him By saying he has to do what's right for him, when you take a bird's-eye view of that idea, do you feel like that's a fair thing for somebody to say or feel? I mean, life's not fair. I think everyone is allowed to have their own feelings. You can't force someone to be really empathetic. It's it's not who they are. It's not who they are. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy, but he, he hadn't really had any struggle that I heard of. So I feel like to him, it just seemed like a lot to take on. Who did you turn to for comfort or advice? It's kind of hard because as much as I have really supportive friends, people can't really get it because they are not in the same situation. So they may get dumped or something for various reasons, but I felt like this guy really liked me. I believe that. I think he was sincere. I mean, he could have totally just used me and had fun with me and not, you know, not really held either of our feelings to any regard, but he did. So I don't really hold it against him. It hurts, but I don't hold it against him. Will this experience with him change how you date going forward in any way? I think from now on, I'm going to be clear from the beginning that I don't want kids. With him, I was kind of trying to be open-minded. Oh, well, it's a possibility we could adopt or whatever. And, And now I feel like that's not true. I was just telling myself that because I liked him. But I really don't want to adopt. Like, I'm tired. Like, I really don't want to deal with a kid. Like, I just don't, and I think that's going to mean, like, now from now on, that's going to get out of the way in the beginning, and I'm not going to be like, well, would adoption be an option? Because that's kind of leading a guy on to something I don't think I really want. So my my last question, and when I ask this question, it's not about wanting him back, but are you over mm-hmm. the experience of him and the breakup of him completely? Yeah, I mean, I did check out his Instagram a couple of times because it's public. <laughs> so I did check that out out of curiosity to see if he was dating anyone or whatever. But I'm over him. I was over him pretty quickly. It was more like the my ego was hurt. I don't honestly want to be with somebody who is already ready to run and they haven't seen anything yet. I'm over it. I just don't really look forward to having this conversation again and having to explain it and then you just don't know like if they're going to stop talking to you because of this or because it's just you that they don't like as a person or like you just don't know but I'd rather try than not date at all
2: you know so in a way Jessica and I are lucky because when we found out that we couldn't or shouldn't have children it wasn't such a huge blow to our spirits because we didn't really want them to begin with But most of the women who reach out to me, they do want children and they're mourning that loss along with the other complications that come with relationships with illness. So for anyone listening in that boat, I just want to let you know that I do sympathize because that is a much harder scenario to navigate, especially because you lose so much when you start dealing with a chronic illness regarding your sense of self and what you saw for your future. There's a lot of reshaping that happens whether you're in a relationship or are looking for one. But no matter what side of that coin you fall on, I do agree with Jessica regarding being upfront to begin with. And luckily with online dating, you can be pretty clear about that in certain circumstances. On dating sites like OkCupid, you can just put in there that you don't want to have children and only be matched up with other people that don't want children. On swiping apps like Bumble and Tinder, I put in my little three lines that I don't want children most of the time. Men do not read that, but at least I've put that there and I've tried. And I try to keep in mind that many people, both women and men, don't want children for a variety of reasons. Illness is just one of them. And so, while some people will not be gracious about that, I have had a man tell me that he didn't want to date me because he's very family-focused, as if I'm not. For the most part, there are still people out there. That brings me to my general point of advice for the first half of our show. Everyone has baggage. They have their own issues that they're working through, that they bring to the table. My issues happen to be mostly based in having a chronic illness. I found that the more honest I can be, the more I can own it, the more time I spend focusing on reminding myself what I can bring to a relationship to balance out the fact that, no, I cannot have children, to balance out the fact that, no, I cannot go to that outdoor concert or I cannot go camping just on a whim, or I cannot go rock climbing, or I cannot be a gym partner. (laughs) The more that I can think about what I bring, patience, resilience, strength, a whole lot of love, a lot of things, the more I focus on those, the less of the other stuff feels like baggage. So that's my first half bit of advice. And we're going to take a commercial break and come back and hear from Rachel about a different aspect of dating and breaking up because of chronic illness. But before we do, I want to give you one more last little self-plug because this Thursday I am speaking at Designers and Geeks here in New York City doing a little talk about managing online personality disorder. What is online personality disorder? I made it up. It's basically because I write about all of this stuff about food and relationships and chronic illness etc and I have this radio show which I produce and co-host and I have the Marching With Me campaign for chronic illness advocates and I have my year of abstinence which is this big life project I'm doing to help me mentally balance out being a human being who does all of those things and so I'm speaking about that at Designers and Geeks on Thursday I would love to see any and all of you there it's $20 a ticket but if you use code WORDSFOODART you get $5 off so please pop that in there so they know that I sent you and yeah uh, more information about that is on our website lovebitesradio.com along with information about pots and these essays that's all up there right now so sit back hear about our sponsors and I will be right back
0: This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters
2: Welcome back to Love Bites Radio. I'm Jacqueline Raposo, and today we're hearing from women who've gone through breakups because of their chronic illness. Now, I've been dealing with Lyme disease and the effects of it for over 20 years, and so I forget sometimes how scary and confusing it is in those really early stages when you're figuring out what's going on, which is why I wanted to have Rachel on the show. Rachel is 24 and she has interstitial cystitis. But she didn't know that when she was dating the gentleman who we're going to hear about today. At the time, she thought she just had something small. But interstitial cystitis is serious. It means that the lining of the bladder has eroded away, making urine or anything else that goes into it extremely painful. She has burning and pain on a day-to-day basis, which she tries to ease a little bit with daily medications, and she's had injections directly into her bladder. Different foods make it worse, so she's trying to figure out what those foods are because it's different for each and every patient. So she's dealing with similar problems as Jessica, where she can't just go on a date and eat whatever she wants. It's another conversation starter. So Rachel was figuring all of this out while she was dating a guy that she really liked. So I asked her to break this all down for me what it felt like to have the potential for a new relationship while she was facing the fact that she might be carrying an illness with her indefinitely, and what it felt like to have a breakup for the first time that was about something that she really could not control. Here's Rachel. With the guy that you had messaged me about, how long
3: had
4: you been dating? It was only about four months. I get very attached easily, and I think that's both good and bad sometimes, it was very upsetting, obviously, when it ended. And especially because I felt like it was directly because of what I'm going through. He's older than me. And he just seemed, you know, like more mature than other guys I had dated. And he had a great sense of humor. And we just like hit it off pretty quickly. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed, you know, spending time with him. So if it was four months, he
3: was there while you were discovering your illness. How much did you
4: share with him while it was happening? Well, at first, you know, before I knew what it was, I thought I was just having like a really stubborn battle with like a yeast infection or something like I didn't know. Or I thought I had a UTI because it affects the urine and stuff like that. At first, that's, you know, what I was telling him. I actually never officially like told him what I had. Once I learned what it was, I just said that there was like an issue with my bladder and that, you know, I was starting treatment for it and, you know, I was hoping that I would be feeling better soon. And I don't know if it was just my own fear or if I felt like he was looking for this, but I kept like giving him a timeline that I didn't really know saying, oh, in a few weeks, I'll be better. Oh, in, in the next month, I'll be all better. And obviously that wasn't true. I was just wishful thinking on my part. Why do you feel
3: like you were reluctant to tell him the whole story? Was it something about him or was it just something about where you were with it?
4: I think a little bit of both. We had like an unfortunate situation early on closer to the time that we met that we, I thought, had bounced back from. But he, you know, wanted to have sex pretty quickly after we met and I had to keep delaying it you know I felt bad that I kept saying you know I can't I'm sorry I can't you know I wanted to but I couldn't and I made that clear and at one point I had actually like gone to the doctor the day before and they told this was before I got my diagnosis and they told me like you're fine so we tried and it I realized that I wasn't better it was like a totally like mortifying situation for me and I like left and I was crying and we didn't talk for a few days. And then ultimately, you know, we talked about it and he said, you know, I'm gonna stick around. Like I know this is tough for you or whatever. So I thought, okay, you know, things are fine. We got past that, but I always had that like experience in the back of my mind because it felt so traumatizing at the time that I think I was scared that that was gonna happen again and that he would just get so tired of me saying, I can't, I can't, and would just leave, which is what he ultimately did. How did he bring it up again when he finally ended things? The last time I saw him, we had a really nice time, and then a week went by, and I didn't hear from him at all. He ended things over the phone. Um, He just said, being by himself for that week, changed his mind and realized that he didn't feel like he was able to build a connection with me because of my limitations. Specifically, you know, he mentioned not being able to have sex, and he also said one of the things that I can't do is drink alcohol, and he likes to go out to the bar. Those were like the two things that he said he couldn't deal with, I guess.
3: As far as the physical intimacy, is that something that had been an emotional problem for you? as
4: well yeah I mean it was frustrating because I wanted to and also I don't know I think part of it is just like this pressure that I felt from I don't know society or and him a little bit that you know like you have to be doing that otherwise things aren't going to work and I recognize the importance of it in maintaining a relationship but for me it's not like end-all be-all which it seems like it is for him it was kind of was conflicting for me because that's what I believe but I also had this feeling like oh like you know he's gonna leave if I can't do this which is terrible because I don't want to be somebody who thinks like that but I kept having that thought and it caused me a lot of emotional distress you wrote him a letter what did you express in that letter well um That was actually a really therapeutic thing for me to do because, you know, when we were talking, I wasn't really able to formulate my thoughts very well, and I usually do better in writing. After thinking about the conversation, I said everything that I would have liked to have said to him directly on the phone, which is that I just didn't agree with the reasons that he cited for being the problem or the reason that he wanted to break things off that I didn't think it was fair. You know, he kept saying things about me and what I was or wasn't doing and that how that was the problem. And I didn't think it was fair to blame me for the failure of the relationship, especially because when it comes to my illness, because I can't control that. I also said the thing that really got to me is that he said, you know, when you're feeling better, you can call me if you want to. That was really painful to hear because how I took that was to say, like, I don't want to be with you when you're not doing well, but I'll consider being with you if you're healthy. And I just expressed how hurtful that felt to hear that and that I would definitely not be contacting him again after this. I didn't feel it at the time, but I was trying the fake it till you make it method, I guess. And, you know, I was trying to say, you know, I'm a really strong person, I've dealt with a lot of really difficult things, and I'm going to get through this. You know, I guess I was kind of just trying to talk to myself and encourage myself there a little bit and kind of just let them know, like, I don't like the way you handled this. And it's a shame that your things are ending this way, and you're missing out on a really great person did you hope that he would respond
3: or what do you hope he would learn or how did you hope he would change from reading it?
4: No, I actually didn't want him to respond. And I even said that basically it just felt for me like a way for me to kind of get the last word and just say my piece and feel like I had some control over the situation rather than him just like dumping me off because I'm Not doing well, kind of feel like I was, had a choice in the matter and felt like I was walking away too and took some of my power back, I guess. It was more about me, I think. You know, I didn't expect a response and I don't know if he did, obviously, but I kind of wanted him to feel a little bit bad about what he did because I, I was feeling so poorly about it and I just wanted him to know that, you know, listen, you hurt me. I'm going to be fine but you hurt me. And I just wanted him to feel some weight in those words. Is this experience going to
3: change how you approach the next relationship you start?
4: Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm not planning on dating at all right now. Um, I mean, if something comes along organically, then, you know, we'll see. But I'm not going to put any effort into it right now. I need to... You know, get myself to a more stable place. But yeah, um, in the future, I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging for me to go into something and tell somebody about this. I'll you know be anxious about what their response is going to be. So I think I'm going to be more cautious and more anxious initially. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, hopefully someday I'll meet somebody who is understanding and also I hope, you know, that I'm better able to manage this in the future so that it doesn't feel like it impacts my life in such a big way as it does now.
2: So Rachel is dealing with a very complicated addition to her illness and her inability right now to have sex, as that's obviously... Something that's very important to many people, especially in the early stages of a relationship. And honestly, that is not my area of expertise to give advice on. If you've listened to the show, I actually speak a lot about the opposite. And so while I wholeheartedly sympathize with her situation, I'm going to sort of pass the buck with this one and send anybody in that boat to chronicsex.org and Kirsten Schultz over there. She focuses on sex and sexuality, and I'm going to try to get her on the show at some point to discuss that. But what I will say is that, first of all, of course, no one should make you feel pressured to do something you don't want to do, especially physically or sexually, But aside from that, when you have a chronic illness, you need to take the time to absorb and process for yourself. I don't agree, and Ben and I have talked about this on the show, that you have to be in the right place or the healthiest you've ever been physically, mentally, or emotionally to be in a relationship. That whole idea that you have to love yourself before you love someone else we've discussed before. But I do feel like you need to at least feel some sort of sense of ownership Over yourself and your illness before you can put that upon somebody new. The stronger and more sure you are in yourself and your own understanding of how you feel about your illness, at least the better you'll be able to communicate that with another human being. But regarding breakups, since we are talking about breakups with chronic illness today, they do suck more when it is about your illness because I don't know about anybody listening, but I wish I didn't have my illness. Yes, it's taught me a lot about life, and I do feel like many things about my level of compassion and patience and resilience have come from it, but I live in pain pretty much every day. When we started this show, I had a lot more energy and strength, and over the last two years, that has gone downhill again, and I am not dating now because of it, and when I do, it is a lot harder to date It is a lot harder to even get down into the studio, which is why I am not in the studio today for this show. Rachel and Jessica and I also have invisible illnesses. There's a lot that goes into this. That's very different, obviously, than people who have physical disabilities that you can see. That's a whole nother pool. But when you go through a breakup because of chronic illness... It just feels like another thing you have to grapple with that really does threaten your sense of self. So if there's anything we take from this first episode, we're going to come back next week with our second. I hope it's that that's what we've got to just sort of bear down and focus on, recognizing our self-worth and our badassery despite if you have anything that you want to share with me about this episode or your experience, I would love to hear it. Our email is lovebites at heritageradionetwork.org. I hope you come back next week for part two slash episode six of this series. Until then, thank you so much to our engineer, Vitor. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion. I am Jacqueline Arposo and my co-host Ben Rosenblatt will be back with us very soon. Love Bites will be back at the same time next week right here at Heritage Radio Network.